Thanks, Jose. Um, I wasn't really going to say anything about this, but as Bill and them were talking, um, I was just thinking about First Church and the influence they have in the reservation, but um, got me thinking about you know, your support for us. Those of you that don't know, we were here a few weeks ago. We are um, supported missionaries by you in Bulgaria, and the last, uh, since from starting in March, um, late February when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, our main focus of our ministry was refugees, and, and it continues to be our church's focus. So I was just thinking about what Bill said about helping people and distributing these things and the influence that First Church has, but it's not just, so it's in the reservation, but it's also in Bulgaria and, and beyond as people are going back now to Ukraine with things that have been given. So I, I just wanted to tie in with that and, and how cool it is to think about this church's um, influence, not just on the res, and, and but beyond even into Europe. So I just wanted to say that. I appreciate that. Um, long time ago, about uh, several decades ago, I was in middle school and I went with my family to a history museum in Richmond. And we went with some family friends, maybe some of you will know this name, Joanne and Vernon Johnson. Some of you know them. We went with them. So even back then I liked history, but back then I did not like museums. I liked history, hated museums. So I was doing what most kids would do. I would go a little bit faster than the adults. So I would kind of, they were going slower than I wanted to go. So I would go ahead and then come back and go ahead and come back. But every time I went ahead, I, I was sort of in sync with this one gentleman that was going through the museum. I didn't know who he was. And so I would go, and I would kind of be with him a little bit beside him as he saw, and I'd go back, back and forth, back and forth. Well, I even remember one time kind of bumping into him and saying, oh, I'm sorry. And he was like, oh, no problem. He's a really nice guy. So, you know, we're going back and forth, back and forth. I'm back and forth. And we get to the end of the museum and we're there like where the gift shop and everything is. And um, Joanne Johnson, our friend, she said, she said, look at that. And I was like, what? And she's like, that's Alan Alda. That, so, you know, back then he's most famous for MASH. He's been in a million movies since then, tons of things. But I didn't recognize him. I had probably seen the show a few times. I didn't like it back then. Um, and I was like, I just went through the whole museum with this guy. Didn't even know who he was. Now, there's a reason for you younger people, I don't have a picture or a selfie with him. That was in that time when we did not have cameras everywhere. There's a phrase that you never hear now that you heard back then, and that was, I wish I had a camera. That doesn't mean anything today because we all have our cameras all the time. But back then, we didn't have a picture. But anyway, he was very kind. We had a discussion with him, talked to him. But I didn't recognize who he was. The, the show was more for adults, MASH and everything else. I just didn't know who he was. Joanne and, and my parents, they've seen the show immediately. Oh, that's Alan Alda. They, they recognized him. If that would have happened to me 10 years later, I would have watched all of MASH, and maybe I would have recognized him. But I was thinking about this story with Alan Alda in connection with Christmas. I went through an entire museum having encounter and encounter with Alan Alda and didn't recognize who he was. And I think a lot of people, including Christ followers like myself, we go through the entire Christmas season and we have encounters 
with Jesus and encounters with Jesus and we don't recognize it. And we don't recognize that it's him. So this morning, I would like to talk about an Emmanuel encounter. We see in the book of Matthew 123, the angel is speaking and he says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the angel is quoting from the book of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Now, you see it spelled in this verse, I, you see it in my title, E, you see it both ways. It's the same thing. It's just whoever decides to translate that word out of Hebrew, it's a long E, it's E sound in Hebrew, so people go both ways. I went with the E because it matches encounter. But just so you know, it's the same word, you see it both ways. But that message of Emmanuel, God with us, that is really the message of the Christmas story, that God came down to be with us and not just to hang out with us. He came to live with us, to die for us, to rescue us from our sins. And like me with Alan Alda at the museum in Richmond back then, a lot of people had encounters with Jesus and didn't know who he was. But there's many people that did have encounters with Jesus and did have encounters with Emmanuel and they recognized him. And that's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna look at one of those stories. And this story will teach us of the importance of having an encounter with Emmanuel this Christmas season. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter two, starting in verse 22. And the first thing we're gonna see is the context of an encounter. Starting in verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This story takes place, we know, when Jesus was 41 days old. Earlier we read that on the eighth day he was circumcised and he was given his name, Jesus. And the law of Moses said that 33 days after that was when you had to take the child to the temple to give the sacrifice. So Jesus is 41. These two new parents have made the journey from Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem. It's about five miles each way. You kind of come down from Bethlehem and through the valley and up onto the Temple Mount. So they had to go about five miles each way to do this. But there's another layer of context here that I see that's more important than the geography and the timing, and that is the context of humility. You know, we know Jesus was born into a stable. He was visited by shepherds. He's there with the animals. You know, we know this is not the usual way a king is born. But here we see a very important um, detail of the Christmas story, and that was that Mary and Joseph were extremely poor. The law said that a lamb should be given, sacrificed for the child. But then in Leviticus 12, it also says if the family cannot afford a lamb, then they could offer these two birds. So right there we see that it's not just that Jesus is born into this humble situation. He's born into poverty, into the lowest level of society there because they couldn't even afford a lamb. Back to what Bill said, I mean, I think one reason Jesus' compassion is so great for the poor is he really knew what it was like to be poor. He grew up that way. So Jesus, 
the one God, the creator of the universe, left heaven and came to live with us, and not just to live with us, but to live to poor parents from a backwater hamlet. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. If you remember in uh, Philippians chapter two, Paul says, Jesus gave us an example. He put our needs first and left the glory of heaven to come live with humility. So I think the important thing we need to do this Christmas season is enter the season with a spirit of humility. We follow the example of Jesus. But before we move on, I wanna think about something. This isn't really the point of the sermon, but I think it's a really cool thing to think about. Think about that Mary and Joseph could not afford a lamb, so they came to the temple with no lamb. But what they did was brought to the temple Jesus, the Lamb of God. And where was the temple built? The temple was built on Mount Moriah. And there's another person that went to Mount Moriah to make a sacrifice, that was Abraham. And God provided a sacrifice for him because he didn't have a lamb. So all these things are pointing to Jesus in the Christmas story. Next, let's see the anticipation of an encounter. Luke 2.25 says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I think a lot of times we miss encounters with God. We miss encounters with Emmanuel because we're not looking for them. But here we see the description of Simon. He's righteous and devout. Now, if you think back to the Christmas story, there's other people that are given this description of righteous. Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, they're called righteous. And Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, was called righteous. And to be righteous back then means very much what it means now, to live by faith. Sometimes we get this idea that, well, back then they just had to follow a bunch of rules. Well, no, they were people of faith. It's not just following rules back then, it's not just following rules now. God sees the heart, and God says that it, by faith, Abraham pleased God, right? So we see that these righteous people are people of faith, and at this time, they're looking forward to the promised Messiah. They know that God has promised the Messiah to come, and that's what they're looking for. And that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Think about in Genesis three, God promises that there's going to be salvation, and they know the Old Testament, and they know this is coming. This term, consolation of Israel, that's a very common messianic term from that time period. You can see it in other Jewish literature outside the Bible. So that idea of consolation of Israel is just an idea of looking for the Messiah. It's mostly based out of Isaiah. If you go to the book of Isaiah, like nine or 10 different times when it's talking about the Messiah, it's talking about comfort and consolation that God's sending. There's something else I think that is neat. As you know, and Bob's talked about this before, I've heard him, that names in the Bible are very important. The name Simeon in Hebrew, it's still a name today, the name is Shimon. And the name Shimon means to listen and to hear. Maybe you've heard the thing, there's something called the Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema Israel. That word Shema and Simeon, they both have that same root from Hebrew, which means to listen. So even the name of this man is indicating that he's listening and waiting for God. So I encourage you this Christmas, listen for God. 
wait with anticipation to see what kind of encounter with Emmanuel you'll have this year. Now let's look at the catalyst of the encounter. Starting in verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, what the custom of the law required. The good news is we don't have to force these encounters to happen. This is an amazing description of a man that lived before the church age. Because if you remember in the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, all believers received the Holy Spirit. Before that, if you read the Old Testament, usually the Holy Spirit would come on a person to do some kind of great act or to give them some sort of skill like the men that built the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit would come on them and then leave. But if you look at this verb in Greek, this is, indicates an ongoing long-term filling. This man was, was filled with the Holy Spirit ongoing. It was a long-term thing. And the Holy Spirit told him, before you die, you're gonna see the Messiah. We don't know when the Holy Spirit told him. The text doesn't tell us. In my opinion, based on how it reads, I think there was some time there, though. It seems that the Holy Spirit had told him this some time before. And I wonder, how many times do you think Simeon went to the temple wondering if the Messiah would be there? I wonder if Simeon ever got discouraged. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But it, we do know that he is an example to us. He's an example of endurance. He's looking and listening and waiting for God for the Messiah. So one day, the Spirit leads Simeon to the temple. You know, Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Like Simeon, the Holy Spirit is our guide. The Bible says we should be led by the Spirit. We should be filled by the Spirit. And maybe you're here, a lot of you I don't know, maybe you're here and thinking, well, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know anything about this Holy Spirit stuff. But the Holy Spirit is also the one that convicts of our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, convicts of sin and tells us that we need a Savior. So either way, it's the Holy Spirit that makes these encounters to happen. So the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Holy Spirit is convicting. And he's the catalyst that this year can cause us to have an Emmanuel encounter. So let's look now at the embracing of an encounter. Luke 2.28 says, Simeon took him, that's Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, I just wanna do this one verse. So you have to use your imagination here. These new parents, Mary and Joseph, they enter the temple. Here comes somebody they don't know. He takes Jesus in his arms. I'm sure they love that. Everybody loves a stranger coming up and touching your newborn and all that, right? We all kind of, but I don't know. I don't know how it was back then, but either way, this, this man comes and takes Jesus. And he literally embraces Jesus as his salvation. There's a lot of good art out there. I love art. There's a lot of good Christmas art. But my favorite Christmas art is this one. I love the joy on Simeon's face. Just take a second and look at it. Only an encounter with Jesus can produce this kind of joy. Only an encounter with Jesus can produce real joy. But look at this painting again. I looked at this painting a whole lot before I noticed the background. If you look again, look at what the background is. The background is the map of the world. This 
painting tells this story and it tells the gospel story. I saw an ad this week, uh, I think it was I think it was Walmart, I don't remember, but there, I saw an ad this week and it said, toys that bring joy. There's a lot of talk of joy around Christmas and we all know that toys don't bring joy, but we don't always live that way. Sometimes these things bring happiness. But the only hope of real joy is Jesus. And if you don't have that, I encourage you, embrace him today. Take the example of Simeon, embrace Jesus as your salvation. Because true Christianity is not rules. It's not a religion. True Christianity is a person. And Simeon knew this. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote this. He said, when Simeon saw salvation, he saw a person, not a word, doctrine, or creed. And fellow Christians, we need to embrace Jesus like Simeon as well. We need to embrace the gospel every day. You know, living the Christian life, there are special times, special encounters, special times that God reveals things to himself, teaches things to you. Some of you maybe went to Arizona. Bill mentioned, was it 95? Was that the first trip? Okay, 95, I was on that trip and went a few more times. That's one of the places that God really spoke to me and did special things. I took my kids through the reservation this summer. We were driving through just to show them this is a place that God spoke to me. This is a place that God, I had an encounter with God that really changed my life. And I think that this Christmas we can have those kind of encounters, but that's not the way we live most of the time, right? Those are the highs, but most of the time we live the normal life. Sometimes it feels mundane. We go to work, we go to school, you know, we do the family thing at Christmas. But I'm gonna put the picture back up because I want you to think about this picture this week because this is the attitude we need to have towards Jesus and the gospel every day. And why do we need, why do we need to have this attitude towards the gospel every day? I hope you're thinking that because Simeon is the one that gives us the answer. He, Simeon sings a song and he tells us why this is the attitude we need to have. If you go to verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Okay, so he begins addressing God and he, he uses sovereign Lord. Most translations use that term sovereign Lord. It's a good translation. Normally in the New Testament, including previously in this story, when you see the, Lord, the word Lord, it's the word kairos. That's the normal Greek word that we translate Lord. But it's a different word here in Greek. It's the word despotius, despotius. It's, it's where we get the English word despot from. Now, we don't like that word. We cringe a little bit because despot, you know, that's, it's dictator, it's tyrant, and that's not a word we like. It has a negative connotation in our understanding of human government. But we're not talking about human government here. We're talking about the creator, right? So what Simeon is saying is God is my absolute authority. Sovereign Lord, you have complete authority over me. I am your servant. Now that's an effect that a true encounter with the gospel has. 
And that's one reason we need to go back to the gospel every day because it reorients our idea of who's in charge and who's not. And next he says, you may dismiss your servant in peace. Some translations say depart in peace, dismiss, depart. Very interesting word in Greek. Um, That verb gets a lot of use and it has a lot of different meanings. That verb can mean to release a prisoner. Now, accepting the gospel we know releases us from the prison of sin and gives us freedom. The verb can mean to take down a tent. Well, a tent is a temporary home and this world is temporary, but salvation is eternal. That word means to untie a ship and set sail. When a Christian dies, we're really just moving from one place to another. And that verb means to take the yoke off of a farm animal. You know, our life's not easy. We all have troubles, we have problems, we have burdens. But the hope of the gospel is when we die, those troubles are left behind forever. And what's the framework of this? You know, he says, I can be dismissed. I can go away. I can set sail. But what's the framework? Peace. Um, Peace, you know, that is that incredible Hebrew word. I know you've heard Bob talk about it, shalom. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. We are praying every day for peace in Ukraine. But that's not shalom. That's just the war to end. Shalom is a concept, a Jewish concept of total peace. Let me read you something. This is by Eugene Peterson. He describes shalom this way. Shalom is one of the richest words in the Bible. You can no more define it by looking up its meaning in a dictionary than you can define a person by his or her social security number. It gathers all aspects of wholeness that result from God's will being completed in us. It is the work of God that when complete, releases streams of living water in us and pulsates with eternal life. That's what Simeon's talking about. Simeon is saying, that's what I have. That's what, that's what Jesus has given me. Now I can depart. Now, Simeon, literally, he says, I saw salvation with my eyes. He literally saw Jesus. But he understood that that was the only hope of salvation. And he knew that God had a plan from eternity past that he was going to bring glory to himself by sending his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And and Simeon knows this, and he knows something else that's very important for, I would say, almost all of us in here. He knows that this salvation is not just limited to Israel. This salvation is for everyone. Probably most of us in here are Gentiles. And Simeon knows that this salvation is now for all people. And he knows that he could die that day and go and live, he could die that day in total shalom, total joy and peace. And he knew that because of Jesus, that one day, all of us, you know, he's speaking, when he's talking about the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles, he's talking about us. He's talking about the church age. So I hope that you will have an encounter with Emmanuel this year, because these are the things that it does. And I, I hope you will react like Simeon. But Simeon knew something else. He knew that not everyone would accept Jesus. We see, starting in verse 33, the rejection of an encounter. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword 
will pierce your soul too. I don't know about you, but these verses amaze me. It's like Simeon sees the details of Jesus's life and ministry go before his eyes. So I was thinking this week, you know, okay, he's got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's revealing, revealing things to him, but how does he know this? He knew this because this man knew the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, the Old Testament was full of himself. It told everything about him. So that's a challenge to us. This man only had the Old Testament, but he knew it so well, he knew what Jesus would be and what his ministry would look like. We have the entire word of God. How much more should we study it and know it? He knew the Messiah was coming and he knew that Messiah would suffer and die. Simeon also knew that the world was about to change. He knew that because of this little baby, this, that the world would never be the same place. This baby he was holding would divide all people for eternity. And he knew that he would be hated and rejected by many of his own people. He also knew that Jesus would reveal the true motivation and the true feelings of people's hearts. We see hatred in the Christmas story. You can't even get through the Christmas story without somebody trying to kill Jesus and murdering babies. And that continues all the way to the cross. As soon as Jesus begins his ministry, they're trying to kill him. And Simeon knew, of course, that this would especially hurt Mary. You see, G Simeon knew that the Messiah had to come and suffer and die, and he knew this would affect Mary. Here's the other thing. Jesus knew all that too. From eternity past, Jesus knew this, and he still came to earth willingly, and he still went to the cross willingly. And ever since then, everybody has to make a choice, accept Jesus or reject him. There's no middle ground. There's no Switzerland anymore. There's no neutral countries. There's no neutral people. You accept Jesus or you reject him. The idea, and we still hear it today, that Jesus was, oh, he was a good teacher. He was a moral teacher. He was a good man. That's all nonsense. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, Jesus was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people that actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. And so today the world is divided between those that follow Christ and those that don't. And if you're here and you're not on the camp that has followed Christ, I urge you to accept Jesus today. Today is the day. Let this Christmas be your true encounter with Emmanuel. But fellow believers, these verses remind us that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that hates us. We have a world system that's set up against us. It hated Jesus and it hates us. You know, around the world today, there are believers in prison. If statistics are any indication today, there will be multiple Christians killed because of their faith. But either way, we must choose Jesus every day. We must choose to follow him. We must embrace Jesus, not reject. And as the story continues, we see, though, I'm amazed by this, and I like how Luke puts it in the order, we see the application of an encounter. Let's start in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. 
Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here we meet another incredible character from the Christmas story. Um, The Greek calls her not a prophetess, but a prophet. This is a lady of God. She's been a widow a long time, and she spends her time in the temple. And it seems to me from the text that she comes up to this and hears what Simeon is saying. I don't think God had revealed to her that the Messiah, she'd see the Messiah that day. I think she came up based on the text and heard what Simeon is saying. And then she too recognized that the Messiah had come. Anna's a wonderful example to us. She's a person first and foremost of prayer and worship. You know, if you don't know what to do, and a lot of times we wanna do something for the Lord and, and we wanna do something big or we just don't know what to do, do what Anna does, start with prayer and worship. I've heard so many stories of older men and women, maybe they're bedridden or maybe they just aren't able to get out, but what do they do? They spend hours and hours in prayer. Ange and I, we know people, we have older people that I know spend hours every day praying for our ministry. They can't get out, maybe they're in a nursing home, but they tell us every time we talk to them, I pray every day for hours. What a great example for us. That's not all Anna does, right? I love that Anna puts into practice immediately what Simeon had just said. So she comes up, she hears this is the Messiah, and what does she do? Well, first of all, she gives thanks immediately. Any encounter with God should produce thankfulness. As we embrace the gospel every day, as we embrace Jesus, thankfulness is the natural result. But she doesn't stop there. What does Anna do? She goes out and starts telling others about Jesus. She's 84 years old. And she tells everybody, this is how the gospel works. She hears from Simeon. She accepts the good news. And then what does she do? She goes and tells anybody that'll listen about the good news. You know, we live in a world full of pain and problems. I think more and more we live in a time where people don't understand the true meaning of Christmas. This is not a, this is not a critique. This is an observation. We live overseas and come back, I, I, I see in the neighborhood we're living in more Halloween decorations than we do Christmas decorations. Not that that means somebody is a believer, but the point is we're more and more in a point in our culture where people don't know what Christmas is really about. People don't know the idea of Emmanuel, that God came to live with us, to die for us, to be resurrected, and that one day he's coming back and he'll make all things new. All things will be restored. People need the message of hope. People need the message of Emmanuel. So my prayer for all of us, including myself this season, is we will have an Emmanuel encounter this season. For some of you, it could be the first time. If if there's someone here and you've never truly encountered Jesus in the gospel, I pray that you will have an Emmanuel encounter this year, that you will embrace Jesus for the first time. For others, Maybe you fall into a a different category. Maybe, you know, some of us fall into this category that the gospel is only for people that aren't saved or that Christmas is only for December. I pray that you will embrace the gospel every day. I hope you look forward with anticipation for an encounter with Emmanuel this season. And I think we can all follow the example. I've been challenged this week to follow the example of Anna and tell her, 
and tell all about Emmanuel. She had an encounter with Emmanuel and it changed her and she went out and told others. Maybe God will use you this season to be the first time somebody hears the true Christmas message. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're amazed and overwhelmed that you decided to leave heaven and come as Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that's never embraced you for their only hope of salvation, I pray today will be the day that they have an Emmanuel encounter. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for all listening that have accepted you. I pray that this season, you will help us understand better what it means to be people of faith. In your son's holy name, amen.